everybody. Welcome to the Good Evening Kitties podcast, a Tales from the Crip review. My name is Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, and today's episode is season three, episode 14, Yellow. Hey, Mike, are mm. you yellow? I'd like to think not as yellow as this guy, but until you go to war, you'll never really know, will you? That's true. In that case, I would be yellow. <laughs> but Mike's here to help me review this episode, and this is the last episode of season three. So yes. we're going to be wrapping it up and going into season four shortly after this. But uh, let me go ahead here and read some information about it. As always, John Kassir does the voice of the Crypt Keeper, and Danny Elfman does the theme song. This episode was directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also directed the movie Death Becomes Her, which is a great movie if you've never seen it. Have you mm-hmm. ever seen it? It's pretty funny. No. Screenplay is by Gilbert Adler, A.L. Katz, Jim Thomas, and John Thomas. There's quite a lot of people in the screenplay. It stars Kirk Douglas from movies such as Spartacus, and from Kirk Douglas being very old. Anyone who's seen Paths of Glory is going to appreciate this episode quite a bit. It also stars his son, Eric Douglas, who is also in movies like The Golden Child. Lance Hendrickson from movies like Aliens and Mom and Dad. And Dan Aykroyd from movies like Ghostbusters. <laughs> so this has quite a cast in it. This episode aired August 28th, 1991. And here's what it says about the episode. Paths of Twisted Glory. A World War I general devises a plan to prove his soldier son is not a coward. See, they even like reference Paths of Glory in the, in the description. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what's that movie about? Is it a war? Thing? It's World War One, actually. It's yeah, it's set, it's told from the French perspective during a series of mutinies the French army had as a result of horrific leadership, you know, and bad conditions. That's told from the soldier's viewpoint. In fact, Kirk Douglas plays very, very different characters in both that and this. Hmm. Which we'll get into a little bit later, I suppose, if, if you'll let me. Let's do know. it. All right, so this one opens up with the Crib Keeper, and he's in a cute little little soldier costume or a little soldier outfit, and he's pointing a gun right at us. He's a doughboy. He's so cute. He's got the little, like, flat... I mean, I know they're, it's not cute because it's war, you know, but <laughs> he's cute in it, even though he's pointing a gun at us. And he's, you know, there's like a... He's, it looks kind of like he's on the battlefield. There's canteens and dynamite or, you know, boxes. He's setting and, the stage, which he does so well always. So well. He's really having fun with this one. He looks very, uh, very bony and <laughs> dry-skinned in this one. I like the opening to this episode. Personally, I'll start by saying this one's not one of my favorites. A lot of people like this one. I know you like this one. It is very di- it's a very different It's very one. different. It's, it's it very unique among all of their episodes, in fact. For, like, my... If I had to have, like, the ten top and the ten bottom, this one's in one of more of my ten bottom it just doesn't feel tales from the crypt to me no i agree with you 100 on that and it's i don't know it just doesn't it doesn't really i, I mean it does it's, have it's moments really, it, it, it is it definitely it is. has moments that set it within the tales from the crypt feel and you can see why it would be part of it it does it, and it's and i like the fact that it, it i mean they actually show a battlefield like it's a it took a lot of effort to do this episode for 20 oh yeah, whatever the, minutes you the, know the the few combat scenes in this episode look better than some other world war one movies from around this time period yeah, so in this, it's 1918, of course. It's World War One. It just opens up with dirt, and there's one beautiful little flower trying to grow amongst this dirt. <laughs> in Flanders fields. Oh, this is probably in the Meuse Argonne, but whatever. It cuts to the phrase, somewhere in France. Yeah. They're so like... It, it, they didn't... <laughs> they, they're like, it would be much better if we just didn't risk getting it wrong. We don't have time to research this stuff. They're like, we don't even know. Where are we? I don't know. And this battlefield scene, like I said, it's really good. I mean, they got, they're on this dusty old hill, and they're running, and there's the 
I don't know what. I mean, it looks like a set, but it's well done. Yeah, but I mean, there's bombs going off, and like you can just feel it, and like they're navigating the barbed wire and all the cheval de frise, or however you pronounce that. Do they have? I'm not French. Is there a particular name to those? I think it's a. I just said it. I don't. Oh, okay. I feel all self conscious because I'm probably mispronouncing the. You want to fight? (laughs) I don't know. Barbed wire on metal stuff that looks like blocking stuff. I kind of want to fight now. (laughs) But it's a good scene. I mean, men are flying everywhere. And parts are flying everywhere, and it's just real rough. And like I said, it's, it just says somewhere in France. They do get the craters in and here it, that gives a very nice uh, feel. It reminds you of all the photographs you'd see of No Man's Land. It also says it's the 49th day of continuous battle. So these guys have been going at it for a long time. And not at all unusual in that war. And it starts out with Lance Hendrickson and his character... And there's this great scene here where he's just running around, try, <laughs> trying to get. I love him. It's so good. So he's, much. He's so gung ho, and he's tr- he's running around trying to get help, and everyone he keeps running into is dead, and he's just like, damn. Okay, this is this is where it feels very Tales from the Crypt, very pulpy, which I guess it really, is. whenever you're, we're talking about, is the, does this feel like Tales from the Crypt? Okay, we're, what we're really meaning is, does this feel comic booky? Does this feel pulpy? Yeah. Does this feel like something you'd pick up at a newsstand in the 1950s? But it's like he keeps running over to all the people, to all the soldiers, and being like, hey, where's the lieutenant? Where's the lieutenant? And each one's dead, and he's just like, damn! Every time he sees them, damn! We can't really describe this. You have to see it to see the comedic timing in it. It's it's, very nice. It's pretty good. And, like, yeah, like, he, this one guy, this last guy, he's, like, going to talk to him, and as he's, he, the guy's still alive, and as he goes to point, his hand just gets blasted (laughs) off. And, I mean, you can tell it's fake. It kind of, like, breaks off past the wrist, but it's really, it's really fun. Soldier! You see the lieutenant? Damn! Sir, where's the lieutenant? So he eventually gets down into the trenches and is talking to the son of the lieutenant. Or actually is... Okay, no, he's the lieutenant. Talking to the lieutenant. Yeah, the, My the bad. Yeah. Lance Hendrick plays the sergeant who is out there on the front lines. Okay. And then he realizes, oh wait, our commanding officer is nowhere to be found and we're kind of stranded. We don't know what to do because yeah. the attack is stalling. Where is he? Oh wait, he's back in the trenches. Yeah, so, um, so Eric Douglas is playing the lieutenant whose name is Martin, Martin Calthrop, I think. Hmm. And his dad is the general. And he's basically just hiding down in the trench. And Lance Henderson's like, what are you doing? We're supposed to be fighting and doing this. And he's he's basically, he's he's yellow. You ever think of Calthrop? You think they meant like Caltrops? What's a Caltrop? A Caltrop, you know, the four little, it's, it's, it's always like four spikes. No matter which way you throw it, it's going to land on the ground with one spike pointing upwards. Hmm. I don't know. Never heard of that. Lovely little booby trap, in a way. something new every day. And so, uh, Martin is basically like, uh, I don't want to get killed. He basically doesn't (laughs) doesn't want to die, and I totally get that. I would be the same way. I'd be like, why am I here? He's only there because his dad is the general, and he was pretty much raised to be in this position, and he wants nothing to do with it. He's terrified. Yeah, forces the uh, sergeant to fire the flare, which in the middle of broad daylight, I don't know if that would be much of a signal for retreat, but... 
I, maybe I'm forgetting my World War One tactics. I don't want to assume that this is wrong. And so Dan Aykroyd is now coming up to the general, played by Kirk Douglas, and he's basically just saying that there's certain attacks going on. He's been listening to the radio and determining like where where they're going to attack and you know the plan of action. And so Kirk Douglas turns around and he's just he's very he's just he's, I think he looks great. Yeah. In this, like yeah. he's oh, he's a, he's always he's looked very, very dapper, yeah, man. Very, very dapper, very strong. It's that strong jawline that really Good sells Lord, it Good lord, that too. dimple and that chin. Oh hell's yeah! It's so, it's so dimply. Yeah, they're in the trenches, and inside and just talking, and it's it's another guy listening to the radio, and then Dan Aykroyd, and then Lance Hendrickson comes running in. He's just so happy to be there. And oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so sad. So the Germans have probably cut the line of communication. Yeah, one of their radio lines that so they, they use to keep in touch with each other. So they want to send a group of people out, a group of soldiers out, to find the break in the line and fix it. General Calthrop um, wants his son, Martin, to kind of head it up. And that's basically when when Lance Hendrickson puts out the, the line, you know, He's yellow, sir! He's a section lieutenant, isn't he? I realize that, sir. But... Sergeant... Tell him. Yes, sir. The lieutenant, as you know, is my superior officer, sorry. Get to the point, Sergeant. Begging the general's pardon, sir. I don't know how to put Just spit it out, man. He's yellow, sir. And he makes it sound like it's just like a dirty word. Like it's just <laughs> Well, this is, the lieutenant is elsewhere getting drunk and in the trench. Yeah. Out of his flask, which he always has on him. And they're discussing this right now, and the sergeant is just like, Okay, well this sounds like a great idea, sir, but the fact that it's being led by the lieutenant makes him go, well, uh, uh, he's like, well, just out with it. He just, you know, flat out says, okay, the sun's yellow. <laughs> it was like, he's yellow, and he's also probably really drunk. He doesn't have the guts. He's been drinking a lot. And so then this is when his son shows up, a little buzzed, but he's just like, hey, you know, you wanted to see me. He doesn't even stand to attention Yeah, properly. he just kind of wanders in like whatever, like smoking a cigarette. Discipline's gone to hell. He doesn't want to be there. That is no excuse. <laughs> he doesn't, and and that excuse will not be good for the rest of the episode because it doesn't justify a great deal of what happens later. Kirk Douglas's character, the general, is, is asking his son about this mission, and his son is like, he doesn't want to do any of it, but he's like, you know what? If you complete this mission for me and take these men out there and fix the line, in this the break in this line, I'll get you out of here. He's, he's of course the son, back and forth between them is very kind of guess, illustrative of. You already get the sense that the father has been pushing the son his whole life oh, yeah. into positions that maybe the son didn't want to go. Uh, the son is basically just saying, Dad, I don't want to die. Because yeah. I'm an officer, I can use that. That's, that's my privilege. I can stay behind the lines. And the general, of course, who is much more old school. And in, in fact, I don't want to say old school. Probably some of the better officers in this war exemplified these qualities where you would lead from the front. And of course, if you were a lieutenant, you would be expected to do things like that. Oh, my but, bad. Okay, um, so he's not going to necessarily discharge him. No, he's not. Okay. He's going to transfer him. I he's know, probably I thought transferring that. him to a, to a choir, either to a choir to the, sector He said he was going to transfer him to the rear, so he would be off the, the front lines. Which, you know, these battlefields were could be very many, many miles deep. Yeah. Unless there would be like a Michael Miss offensive or something crazy like that going on, you might not have to worry too much if you're 50 miles behind. It, it depends. Okay, so my bad. But, he uh, wanted a discharge, but then... General, it's military stuff. Not <laughs> General, everyone. General Calthrop was like, I can't do that. Which, really, he probably shouldn't because it doesn't look good, you know, to get your son. No, like, it could tell that's weighing on his mind quite yeah. a bit. Because, oh, yeah, it's all about appearances for because, General Calthrop. Well, I mean, it's, it's so many so many different layers, too, because, 
I, I kind of get the feel that this is a military family, mm-hmm. and they've been doing this for a while. Oh, yeah. It's like, and my father was a whatever, and then his father was a whatever. and then, yeah. yeah. It's the kind of thing where honor and, and familial reputation is very important, and it's just the kind of thing that you don't like to do. Like, there are still senators to this day with sons and, and daughters in the military, and they take that as a point of pride, mm-hmm. and to kind of shield them from those dangers makes them look bad, and they feel it intensely. You know? I mean, he's even like, our dog was part of the military... Yes, Sergeant Scruffles. Yes. So R.I.P. <laughs> so he's like, I, I can't do that, but if you do this thing, this, this mission, I will get you transferred to the back of the war, to the away from the front lines, where you'll be less likely to die, which is what he does not want to do. Yeah. Still not looking like he is a coward. So he agrees. He's like, okay, fine. I'll take these guys out. Which also is another thing they don't make explicit, but they might have been thinking about this, they might have not. But after very intense action, oftentimes they would recycle, they would rotate troops in and out of the trenches. It's not like, you know, most armies try to do that as much as possible, because staying in that state for months on end would make you go insane. Yeah, I can't I can't imagine. So you could just say, oh, he's been on this patrol. Hey, man, just for, you know, just because this is more customary, let's send him back. You could always pretend. There would be that kind of veneer over it, you know. I think the thing that would bug me the most, which I know a lot of soldiers had had this, is you had all the constant noise, and then you have no noise. That was noise. a major factor. This was a war in which constant, this is where they diagnosed shell shock. People yeah. would just go nuts because they were in, under constant stress, That's, constant What I'm anxiety. saying, though, is like you're in constant noise for, say, two months and then you go home and it's deadly quiet mm. and then you're like you almost can't cope that kind of thing like it's just like you're so used to living I mean, with this it's very telling that this war bred a great many of the dictators and say the masochists and other monsters that would later lead people in world war ii mm. you know it fucked up a lot of people so they're on their way out to this mission they're like the germans are everywhere can you see the break So I just crucified on the wire. Yeah. Christ, the Germans have moved the lines forward. What? How do you know? I can smell them. Do we need to really sneak out there? And it's nighttime now. So now it's night, which for me, I mean, that's when you want it's to do best, it. It's it the is. best time to find it. I mean, things must be going pretty poorly if their lines of communication are that close to the op- opposing forces' trenches. But still, I mean, it's scarier, but it also is better because then you can't really see, but then you also can't really see. So that's not good either. So they're out on their stomachs and they're they're crawling through, you know, all the debris. And There's the... some really good cover, though. It's not totally flat. No, Which is no. nice. There's plenty of, of stumps and craters and wheels and all sorts of crap. So it's Lance Hendrickson and Eric Douglas and then two other dudes. So they all they all duck down into, like, this little bomb. There's a crater. It's a crater. Like a little, crater. little shell crater. And uh, they're all kind of scoping the area out. And they're like, okay, we got to keep an eye out. Let's find the break. And they spot it. And I guess what happened is, like, some dude had died and fallen on it. And it broke Mm. the line. So it wasn't even, like, it was just kind of, like, collateral damage kind of thing. Yeah, this actually explains what my question was before. Because they find out that, oh, the Germans have been actually moved the line forwards. Probably while they were retreating. Mm. So. Of course, right away, the lieutenant... Is already like, this is too crazy. To oh, yeah. He's already decided he's not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, he's like, this is too close. We should go back. And then they're just like, no, man, we're already made it this far. We're going to go do it. The three of them, like Eric Douglas's character, Martin, he stays back. And he's going to guard and keep an eye out and see if there's any Germans coming up behind them. And he has like a little whistle. And he'll yeah. whistle when he sees them. It's like a shell casing. 
which you can't oh, yeah, whistle I guess if it you is. put it to your lips. Oh, yeah, it's a shell casing. That's mm-hmm. cute. Okay, so it's a shell casing. If and you see any Hans, blow on this. Yeah, so he's like, blow on it. But he's already like, this is going to give away my position. And they're like, that's not the point. Like, you got to warn us that they're coming up behind you. And so he's like, okay, fine. And so he agrees to it. Yeah, basically, if we if you see danger before we do, you know. Yeah, let us know. And this is, the men are doing him a gigantic favor here by letting him even stay behind the crater and and, and standing guard like that. Yeah, because he's the lieutenant. By all rights to be... prove his bravery and get transferred to the rear, he should be the one out there. But whatever. Yeah, so they're so now back at the trench, Dan Aykroyd is kind of you know asking about it, keeping an eye out. He's the captain. Is that what he is? Yep. Okay, captain, in be, in captain Dan the, Aykroyd. In between the general and the lieutenant, I know roughly how military ranks go. Uh, and so, <laughs> and so, uh, Lieutenant Martin Calthorpe, uh, the the yellow guy, is in the trench and he's just sitting there with his gun pointed and like his little pistol and he's just waiting and he's watching the soldiers kind of go ahead. And he's keeping an eye out to see if anyone's coming up behind them. And he's got his flask and he takes a, a drink of some liquid courage mm. to kick the edge off. It never seems to help him, though. So what's the <laughs> point? And so he starts to see a couple soldiers coming over. the German the, soldiers. Couple, yeah. Sorry, my bad. A couple German soldiers coming over the side. And he panics. He freezes. He has the, the little bullet casing whistle in his hand. And he needs to do so it. But this he, is where I go crazy about this. Because... The German, you can tell that the Germans don't even really know at first that they're there. They've, they just have their, one of their own counter patrols combing the area. But he lets it go so long yeah. that the Germans eventually do find out, oh wait, there's some Americans down there. Yeah, he was going to blow on the whistle. Like, he was looking at it, he was going to blow, and then... And the Germans are taking their time aiming and everything. Like, they're, they're getting ready to kill his friends, and he just doesn't do a damn thing. Well, see, what happened is... <laughs> What happened is he, he he goes to blow the whistle or make the noise, and somehow I think he makes some other noise. Like he kind of they, they notice the movement the soldiers the German soldiers do, and they see him, and then they look over and they're like, "Oh crap, there's a dude!" And then at that moment, the other guys and his soldiers kind of see it, but by then it's too late and they're already all real close on each other. Yeah. So if he would have blown it earlier, uh, he was just afraid of giving his position away. And so this kind of this part kind of made me laugh because then they start throwing grenades. And somehow these grenades <laughs> come with a trampoline. Yes. Somehow these fragmentation grenades explode like they're ex- actual ex- explosives. But it's like and they have then, little built-in trampolines because yeah, people are just explains, flying everywhere. It, 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 a common trope in war movies that I'm pretty sure anyone who knows anything about this will, you know, just, ah, it's funny. But So Lance Hendrickson comes flying into the <laughs> hole. Into the, same, into the same crater. Into the where same crater where Martin is. And he's yeah. he's been blown all the way through his stomach. I mean, it's not... Like, you can't see through him, but, like, his back and his stomach are all oh, blown yeah. to crap. Well, yeah, whenever the clothing on either side of you is shredded like that, you know what's happened. Yeah, and so, but it was just great that he's just, like, he literally is, like, wee, just lands in there on top of him, and he's, like, you should have warned us. Yeah, why didn't you warn us? And immediately, Martin runs away. And he runs back to where... He doesn't even try to duck, too, which I guess is... Yeah, I, mean, I don't think man, he cares you should have should have displayed that bravery going in. That would have been great. <laughs> He's what, what, you're standing. You're gonna get shot in the back. I don't know. I don't think he cared anymore. And this part's kind of funny though, because he makes it all the way back to his dad, and he's standing there, and he's like, "Oh my gosh, it was so crazy. I mar- I hardly made it back alive. I shot the Germans so much. Guys. I shot them so much. <laughs> Everyone is dead." And he's like freaking out, and immediately his. You know, his, his dad's, he believes him. He's like, you know, you did all you could. I'm really proud of you. I'll still give you the transfer. He's really proud of his son, but it's kind of like all, you know, all these men are still dead. 
I mean, it really is all about appearances because yeah. you can tell by the look on his face at first, at very first. He doesn't quite believe him, but then he's like, okay. And he talks him up in front of some of the other men. And it would have gone perfectly fine for the general's ego and for the son's life had not Lance Hendrick somehow arise from the grave. Yeah, he did not die like Martin thought. Lance Hendrickson's character comes back in. And this part is great because, like, okay, he comes wandering in and he's calling him a coward. And he's got his helmet basically holding his insides. Inside, he's got it covering his stomach and he's just kind of holding his guts together. And he's just like, that's not what happened. He's lying. Now no one can ever call you a coward again. I'm proud of you, son. Easy, Sergeant. Easy, Sergeant. Easy. The hell is going on here? You yellow bastard. Get the medics. They're on the way, sir. No. He could have warned us, but he didn't. He's yellow. Goddamn coward. And Martin's immediately like, what? No, he's lying. <laughs> he just pulls, a, pulls his 1911 out on the guy and is about to waste the lieutenant right then and there. And of course, he gets pulled away by Dan Aykroyd. But, uh... Well, and he, and he explains everything that's happening. And the lieutenant, Martin, is like, that's not what happened. And then I love this part because then like, Kirk Douglas is like, well, let me hold your gun. Well, he asked him right off, is that is that the gun you used to shoot the Germans? Yeah. Yeah, and then when he goes to hold it, it's cold. So you know he didn't shoot it, which I'm like... Well, he can tell it's not even been fired at all. Yeah. Like, you, from the residue, there's no residue. There's no there's residue no or anything. He basically, he finds it out. And this is when Lance Hendrickson pulls... <laughs> I love it, like, Lance Hendrickson pulls the, the helmet away and his, like... Not guts, really, but just, like, skin and things are hanging out and he's bloody and he's slowly... I think we're meant to think it's intestines. I guess. And he's walking up to, to Kirk Douglas... And Kirk Douglas isn't even phased by the fact that there's, like, gore coming out of his stomach. I've seen way worse, you know. The Me- I guess. Well, probably was a mercenary in the Mexican Revolution. He's seen stuff. But Lance, like, basically falls back and fall, you know, falls forward, falls back, and dies right there on the floor. Lance Hendrickson does great in all... Like, he was in... He was in... Um, oh, yeah. He's great. The other episode. Uh, he was in Predator, wasn't he? No, he was in Alien. <sighs> ah! He was Bishop. <laughs> But he was also uh, in another he, Tales from the Crypt episode. Yeah. He was in um, the one uh, Cutting Cards. Yeah, yeah, Cutting Cards. Cutting Cards, where he really is overacting there. One. There's a great speech that he does in the parking lot when they were playing Russian roulette. Like, he oh, really yeah. gets all into it. So I mean, one he's, of my faves, too. Yeah, he's a, great, he's a great actor. And so now, is this court-martialed, or what is he being? Yeah, he's being court okay. because he's been officially accused of cowardice before the enemy. So because they... He's, you know, they and, and also, horrible dereliction of duty. Yeah. Completely. He left his men. Those men, those lives were in his hands, and he let them all down. So a bunch of them go back to this dilapidated church that they've turned into like this court kind of area, or, or basically their um their like base of operations kind mm. of thing. And they have a trial, and Martin gets sentenced to death by gunfire. Uh, at, firing squad. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Death. <laughs> death by firing squad the next morning. The tribunal. Finds the accused, Lieutenant Martin Calthrob, guilty, as charged, with dereliction of duty, desertion under fire, and cowardice in the face of the enemy. 
According to the dictates of military law, it is my duty as the commander of this division to inform you, Lieutenant Calthrob, that you've been found guilty of the charges lodged against you. The penalty for this crime is death by firing squad. Yeah, it doesn't take long. I mean, it's pretty much open and shut case. So, Martin is like, fine. He tells his dad, like, fine, okay. I never wanted to do this anyway. Whatever. Mm. So they go and put him in, like, a, a separate room to the side. General Calthrop is probably pretty embarrassed. He's pretty upset. And so he comes into this area that they're keeping him, and they talk to, he talks to his son and basically says, I have a plan. Well, before that, though, they talk at length about their, basically, you get a really good sense of their relationship and how he could put his son through everything. West Point, he'd given him basically every thing he could have to excel in a military career except the w will to do it. That comes from within. If you want to do this kind of thing, then you'd better be gung-ho about it. And you, and you can't expect to force anyone to get into it really that much either. He obviously never wanted any part of this. And a lot of people, I think, went to World War One not understanding just how horrific it would be at all. Hmm. Like, it was not at all a glorious war. It was a war very much like most other modern wars where you you basically just spend most of the time trying to keep alive and here and there try to finish whatever missions you have in front of you. You can tell that he never was very enthusiastic about it and that the father basically had forced him into this his whole life. Oh, yeah. And that's so, why Martin's saying to his dad here, he's also like, you know, I wasted my life just being what you wanted me to be. This is not what I wanted all he ever wanted from his dad was just like a little a little pat on the back a little oh he's a well done son guy if we can follow tropes now <laughs> yeah he just wanted a little like uh, what's the word i'm looking for parental approval a little bit <sighs> approval, of approval acknowledgement yeah acknowledgement like, yeah. he wanted a little we're, we're just banding about words for the same thing at this point he just words. wanted daddy to notice him isn't that always the way i know right <laughs> but uh, but he's basically like, Dad, I'm afraid to die. So is that such a big thing? I mean, like, it's... It's some of the most real dialogue you'll actually get in Tales from the Crypt. And by real, I don't mean to disparage the other stuff because I find it great. But it's kind of feely, you know? <laughs> so after all this, basically what he's saying is what uh, the general comes up with is a plan. So he tells his son... There's always a blank in one of the rifles in the firing squad. Leaves the question of doubt as to who fired the fatal shots. And I'm the one who loads the rifles. This time, I'll load them all with blanks. When the squad fires, I want you to pretend you're dead. The division will be moving out almost immediately. I've already issued orders. Now listen to me. I'll make up a pact for you. New identity card, some money, rations. I'll put it in the ditch where you fall. As soon as the company moves out, you take off. I actually feel pretty ignorant here because I just realized I do not know if this is factual, if any of our military listeners could point anything out to us. Because he says that, well, we have all the men in the firing squad. I load all those rifles. One of them is always a blank. That way, no one knows whether or not they fired the fatal shot. I don't know if it's factual. So it's basically like, I'll fill them all with blanks this time. And then they kind of, the way they set it up is weird. Cause it's like, we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but it's like you stand on this deck and it's overlooking like this death pit. That's kind of messed up where there's just mm. like wrapped up bodies down there. So you'll get shot and fall back. So I guess the point is, you know, he'll, I guess the blanks would still hit him though, right? 
Do blanks, is it, I it's not like a rubber bullet, right? It's no, just like, no, a blank, to my knowledge, you see, that's another thing. I that, feel, I feel really, really stupid now. I feel like that would give it away, though, if they I, shot him with the I, blanks. We should have done our research for this episode, damn it. If anybody it's, knows about 19, World War One and if they used uh, blanks see, or rubber bullets. I know a bullets. lot about the political and the military backgrounds, but some of the smaller things like this is just like whoosh yeah. over my head. So So anyway, he's basically saying he'll, he'll send them all with blanks. He'll leave a bag of some supplies down at the bottom. You'll pretend like you die, fall over, and then I will get you out of here and you can just live a different life and... I'll pretend my son is dead, but he won't be. Yeah, whole new identity for him and everything. Yeah. And they make that pretty clear. Martin's like, <sighs> all right, you know, let's do so. that. So he's like, uh, sure. Okay, so it's the next day, It's an, or that morning, and they got everybody out there. Like, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of people. I'm assuming there's a bunch of people still fighting. Uh, but there's a bunch of people out there, and these uh, there's drummers and, like, flags and, and this head leading out to the deck to where he's going to get shot. He was definitely getting way more ceremony than a lot of poor French so-called mutineers got in the few years yeah, before this. Yeah, it's a lot of pageantry. And you'll see a bit of that if but ever the... you watch Paths of Glory starring Kirk Douglas as well. Please go watch it. <laughs> but the thing is, Martin comes out, and he's pretty cocky. He should be acting more like he's actually afraid to die, but he's all just like, what's up, guys? You know, like, <laughs> you know, so it's almost kind of gives it away, the fact that he's going to get shot with blanks, like the way he's acting. But I also noticed that, like, okay, th so this is like a, literally like a seven minute scene or longer of just them preparing him up to the to the deck. It takes quite a bit. These poor drummers in the background, because <laughs> I'm a drummer, and these poor drummers are doing the, the tight roll, just and it's literally the whole time. And I'm like, their poor little wrists are probably just like, carpal tunnel, like the whole time. <laughs> so the drummers are going, and they bring Martin out, and they have the, the priest there to do like the last, uh, the last rites, and he stands up on this deck above this death pit with all these other little wrapped up bodies in it, which is kind of freaky. And he sees that there's a bag of supplies down there. So he's like, cool, cool, you know, we're going to do this. And so here comes General Calthorpe with his giant dimple in his yes. chin. It is very prominent. <laughs> it's very prominent in this scene. And Dan Aykroyd comes up and asks him if he has any last words. And he does a speech about dying with dignity kind of thing. Yeah, he feels, and in a way, like, well, he knows what this is all about. This is all about his about his dad not having to suffer, suffer the ignominy of having a coward in the family. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he says, well, now that I'm being executed, you know, now I feel like I've been what I've been running from all this time. It's evaporated. It's okay now. I feel like I can face these guns with bravery. Now, I'm just paraphrasing extremely. He actually quotes Shakespeare in this. Yeah, and then he they ask him if he wants a cigarette. He says, no, but I would like a drink. So he takes a drink out of his flask. They, they aim up to fire... And when they do... Firing squad! Post! Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Santo. Amen. Thank you, Father.
he sees that his dad looks away. Looks away. He can't meet his eyes. <laughs> and immediately he's like, "Oh shit! My dad was just pulling my leg. There aren't any blanks in these guns." A, usually, you don't use the term "pulling your leg" when you're killing someone. <laughs> I I don't know. Okay, my dad was <laughs> just extreme. My dad was just punking me. It's like, oh, it's such a prank. <laughs> and like, yeah, because he turns his head and closes his eyes because he can't see his son die because he knows he's actually gonna die. Mm. And it's just like immediately Martin's like, "Oh no." You know, and so they shoot him, and he falls off the deck into the death pit. Pit of death. For some reason, I found this weird. His shoes stay on the deck. I don't know. It's a common kind of comedy thing. I know, but it's like, like, I almost expected the shoes to be smoking. Like, that's, you know, they were, for some reason, it, like, pushed him out of his shoes into the deck. I guess because they did mention at one point they took his shoelaces, so maybe they were just really loose. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed really weird. It's it's a common convention. You know? I guess it's, you see it a lot in all sorts of things. It just seemed weird at this moment to throw that. Whenever in. you're shot, someone is shot, or more commonly, just punched so hard that their body exits their boots. But it just it's, seemed weird to throw it in now when it was so and, serious. All of a sudden. Well, there there is a bit of shall we say tonal shifts throughout this yeah. episode. <laughs> and so he falls so. into the pit. His flask falls out next to him. He's bleeding to death. Everyone comes over to kind of look over and, and see him as he dies. Well, his dad, well, not everyone, but his dad comes over and, and Dan Aykroyd to look over and watch him die. And it cuts over to his flask, which is engraved. Mm. It was a gift from his dad. It's already made obvious, especially with their talk in the, in the dungeon whenever he basically calls his father out on the real reasons for why he wants him in the military in the first place. It's like, it's all just to make you look good. So anyway, <laughs> as soon as he goes over and watches his son, and like Dan Elkrow comes over and he's, you know, kind of consoling him, and immediately... He's like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. Immediately General <laughs> Calthorpe is like, well, my son is not yellow. That's yep. all he cared about. And you see this kind of like weird kind of sociopathic yeah. little tiny grin <laughs> on his face. Well, as he says it, it's great. He's just, I, he didn't even like shed a tear. He just kind of closed his eyes because he didn't want to watch it. But then he was just like, my son is not yellow. Okay, peace. Like he just kind of like, walks away. <laughs> and then it cuts down to his flask and it says, To Martin, let courage be thy name. Love, Dad. 1917. <sighs> Man, that's so... Uh... And that's the end of the episode. It's it rough. cuts out from there. Like I said, this one, it, it's just a little more dour or so than... It's more serious. Yeah. Because we're dealing with real concepts. With, with I mean, not, not that the other episodes aren't, aren't exploring real uh, real concepts too, but this is this story could have happened very easily. Yeah, like I said, it's just it's not one of my faves. A lot of people really like this episode, and that's fine, but it's just, for me, it's not probably one of my top, but it's fine. I mean, it's a... It's By a, virtue of just being a history geek, I like it. Well, and I think it, just the cast, too. It's such a great cast for the time, and it just... Oh, yeah, you perf- know, People were really cast. into it. So, like I said, Chris Collect to the Crypt Keeper. He's tied to a tree, and his own firing squad is getting ready to shoot him, and he's going to pull the own lever, his own lever for it, and then the guns come down, and he, and he shoots himself, laughing hysterically. You see, it's, <laughs> it's just a big romp for him. Crypt Keeper, you're so punny. And the best Crypt Keeper pun is... I guess Martin finally learned his lesson. No guts, no gory. (laughs) So that's the end of the episode of Season 3, Episode 14, Yellow. That wraps up Season 3. Next would be um, Season 4, Episode 1. No. I'm going to fight. Yes. And that one's called None But the Lonely Heart. I have a little bit of trivia here from IMDb. Eric Douglas, Lieutenant Martin Calthrob, was the real-life son... Oh, it's Calthrob, not Throb. Oh, 
Well, I don't know. Never mind. Either way. It's a cal- it's a caltrop that throbs. Yeah. Yeah. Lieutenant Martin Calthrop was the real-life son of Kirk Douglas. Yes, we know that, General Calthrop. So that's kind of at an interesting and kind of awkward dimension. I mean, well, they're both professional actors, right? Yeah. So it's like, well, I haven't really seen the well, son in very much, though. Uh, he passed away shortly after that, I think, from, Ooh. like, a... Like, I oh, think he had a problem man. or something. you're making the episode more real than it needs to Let be. Let me look that up real quick. That's some grim shit. Okay, he didn't die... He died in 2004. So it was a, quite a bit. Yeah, I you mean, know, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't like later, right after at all. But he was only 46. So. He had an accidental drug overdose. Okay, yeah. yeah I was going to so say, that's, that's quite different. So that's a bummer. Um, and some more <laughs> trivia is uh, if you pay attention during the first scene, you will see the same stunt used two times, just from different angles. A soldier steps on a quote unquote landmine <laughs> and is shot into the air, spinning and landing face down in a puddle. So Why is landmine in quotes? Because they don't make you fly. Face down into a yeah, puddle. Yeah. This is also the longest episode of Tales from the Crypt, with twice the running time of any other episode of the show. Really? Apparently, unless I don't, well, well this, I guess it, it is says thirty-eight minutes. minutes. Yeah, I, so I just, you know what's weird is yeah. I didn't really pick up on that. I guess it's it is a quick, a little bit longer. Well, well good show stuff with good dialogue tends to go quick. It's Which, why you know the Hateful Eight went by you know right away for me. I guess I mean that makes sense of why that one death scene was like ten minutes long for him walking out to this to mm-hmm. the death pit. But yes, yeah, so. it's just a trench with all their newly killed <laughs> it's creepy. soldiers, man. It's a mass it's grave. It's a creepy death pit. But yeah, so that's the end there. And Mike, thank you for being on this episode. It was a joy. Yeah. It was a grim, horrible <laughs> joy bringing back all my memories of learning about World War One. Exactly. And thank you guys out there for downloading. You can like, rate, review, subscribe, follow the podcast on Facebook. I'm also on Twitter at Gek Podcast. That's at G E K Podcast. I'm also on Spotify. I hope you guys have a good one. And again, thanks for downloading and thanks for listening. I just had quite a scare. I actually thought my heart was beating again.